Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello there, and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias, and I'm back with Yusip Loine. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I do have a new challenge for the coming weeks, for myself, really. And, and uh, I haven't given this too much thought. So when we talk about this challenge, perhaps four weeks from now, don't, don't keep me accounted for that I've achieved this. <laughs> so, so quick background. Finland, where I'm based in, is, is facing tougher restrictions because of COVID-19 now. And, and we've been fairly relaxed for the past year. So we are not getting like a curfew, uh, but we are getting this sort of uh, strict guidance that most things are denied now except these 12 things and these 12 things include groceries and, and this and that but they exclude sports meaning i cannot go to the gym anymore i cannot go to the climbing hall so this got me thinking i, I need to do my 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 fitness exercises at home on the balcony now which, which which i'm fine but is there something i can sort of do on the side that would perhaps help me personally and I figured it's going to be optimizing my diet. And I know this sounds like I'm, I'm eating, eating hamburgers every day now, but it's not about this. It's more about I need to eat more vegetables, more green stuff. And, and it's always been a challenge for me. So for the next, I don't know how many weeks, depends how, how long this situation will last. If it's four months, for the next four months, I'll focus on learning to eat more vegetables and my my idea is that every week i will pick one more vegetable on my table that i don't really like <laughs> or i haven't really eaten and i will just crush through that for seven days and hopefully i'll, I'll, I'll learn to like each one of those at a time yeah I, I know you told me in the previous episode that you uh, really don't like broccoli so maybe you can yeah. start with that <laughs> no, that's too challenging. So I've already sort of started with this last year with tomato, and I sort of like tomato now. It, it took me 42 years to get to that point. But I'm not sure what the next one would be. It might be broccoli or it might be avocado. Avocado is a really nice thing. So I eat mostly, I, I would say I eat 75% vegetarian food right now. And there's a lot of good things you can do. So it's not just about if you just put a raw vegetable on the plate, it's not very sexy. It's going to be boring to eat. But if you make something out of it, I mean, you can do some really good uh, barbecues with, you know, zucchinis and all kinds of other vegetables. And you can you can make really good food out of it. So don't just eat vegetables, but make a dish <laughs> out of it because then it will stick. If you just force yourself to kind of eat vegetables, like we're trying to force our kids to eat vegetables, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, it's not gonna stick. I'll give it my best shot. I'll definitely keep this in mind. I might reach out to you for, for, for some. I, I will definitely follow up on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I will hold you accountable for it. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. So that's probably top of mind for me. How about for you? So for me, surprisingly, I am planning another hike go outdoors and drop the digital life for a couple of days and go outdoors. Most likely this will be a 60 kilometer solo hike where I bring everything in my backpack. Yeah, I got my water purification systems and water filters. 
so I can survive for about three days or, or so with everything that I need, uh, bring some, uh, some food, and then I find food in the forest as well, uh, which is a, kind of a nice thing. Unfortunately, it's not the season for mushrooms at the moment. Otherwise, that's a really nice thing to, to cook. But yeah, so now I'm planning to, to go about three days uh, at the end of the Easter holiday. Uh, family is taken care of, uh, which is really good. We have uh, close relatives that, that are safe to hang around with, uh, which is good. So I get my two to three day hike in the woods. So that's going to be really cool. Very analog and no devices, no nothing. Obviously a phone with me in case something does happen and I need to call someone, but otherwise everything is analog. And this I find is the best way for me to recharge. When I get back, I have energy for a couple of more weeks. You know, it's people do different things to, uh, to recharge. And, and this is my well-being. I can imagine in the in the next days when you're doing your your easter holiday hike you are running away from bears and wolves and whatnot you have in the forests and your family is sitting next to a cozy fireplace watching netflix and thinking tobias has so much fun in the woods yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> i'm running around in panic <laughs> yes Alrighty, so today's episode is titled so you want to become an azure developer get the az204 certification so let's talk about microsoft search what's the what's the last one you did yourself i think the last one that i did which is azure related was actually the az500 the security exam for azure and that was a pretty pretty tough one in one sense because i come from the development background originally and then you know moving into that space and learning all those things but that was uh, that was an interesting one. But I also did the uh, the developer cert for for Azure. But I think I did that prior to the AC five hundred. But those are the the last certs relating to uh, to Azure that I have. But I know you have like a uh, hundred certifications or something. So I I got started young for sure. But then I I had pauses here and there. And how I often approach. Uh, doing a certification is that I want to learn something. It's it's not that I need to prove to somebody that I know Azure, I know Microsoft 365. It's more about I need to learn more about security for Azure. So let me aim for the AZ500 that you mentioned. And and while doing that, it, it for, forces me to learn about all sorts of different things. I might not have a chance to work in projects with customers. Uh, so Microsoft did update their poster on all of the available certifications now. And if it's been a while since you had a look at that, it's, it's vastly different now. So you can find it at aka.ms slash train cert poster. And I will put the link in the show notes. And it's, it's amazing to think that perhaps 10 years ago, we would have a sort of separate set of certifications for on-premises stuff, Windows Server and SharePoint 2007 and whatnot. And now those are no more. So almost everything has to do with the cloud. Dynamics, Power Platform, Azure, M365. And this was updated, the poster was updated in March 21. And I think we discussed a bit about the, the new stuff, the, 
SC200, SC300, and SC400. Did you have a chance to do any of those yet? Because I think you mentioned that you're planning at least to do one of those. I, I haven't done them, uh, but I did went through the uh, learning material, the you know the free modules on Microsoft Learn, uh, because that was part of this Ignite challenge, which if you attended Ignite even virtually, and uh, you haven't done so yet, you can still sign up. There's a couple more days. You can still sign up for uh, the Ignite challenge, which when you complete all those modules, you will get a free exam voucher. So you can actually do a Microsoft certification for free. Uh, so I do recommend uh, that you take a look at that. I have not done the SC exams yet. I do have those on my radar, but I am kind of angling towards MS 500 at the moment, which is the Microsoft 365 securities uh, certification. Uh, and for anyone tuning in, we do talk about Azure most of the time here, but I have my background in Office 365 and, and SharePoint on-prem from you know days that we already forgot. Um, but this is the, the route I'm, I'm coming from. So it makes sense for me to uh, target that first. So it's not an Azure exam but it does relate to a lot of the things we do in Azure because a lot of the security components are kind of integrated there. I did the AZ500, the security one on Azure in 2019, so about two years ago. And when I passed that one, the MS500 became available in beta. So if you do a beta exam, you often get perhaps double the amount of questions. So not 40, perhaps 80 questions and you don't get the score immediately, but later when the, when the exam is ready. And I felt, well, I know Microsoft 365 stuff, so I don't need to study at all for this exam. I did go in, it was super duper tough for me because it, has, it, it had so much stuff on things I didn't really work at the time, like the Microsoft information protection policies and, and certificates and how do you, enable this and that with PowerShell and what's the command for this. And I did the beta, I waited for two months and then I got the, got the result and I failed. And I haven't touched that exam since. So if you're, <laughs> planning, if you're planning on doing it, I'd be anxious to hear later on how you did and how you felt. Was it challenging? Was it super easy? Meaning, did I suck deeply or was it super hard and, and, and it's even hard for you to pass? Yeah, no, I, I think I will... I will take it for a spin. Uh, but again, if you fail a certification, it doesn't mean that you don't know anything. So you should never feel bad about not passing a certification. You know, just go for it again. The good thing with uh, when you fail a certification is they highlight the things where you have room for improvement. And this is a good thing because when you do fail it, you do understand that, well, the world kind of expects that you know these things, which you have to kind of ramp up on. So then you just do ramp up on them and you do it again and then you might pass. Yeah, this is a, a good thing with the certifications, I think. So it's a, it, it, it does give you a chance to prove yourself. And if you pass, that's great. If you don't pass, it's not a failure uh, in my view. It's just a an, another opportunity to strengthen your knowledge in the areas that you might not have uh, you know, the, the expected experience in. And then you get the experience and then you do it again. It's like one of my students years ago, uh, when they got started with a lab in a, in a classroom set up on, on PowerShell and they kept running a commandlet and it failed and you get the red text. 
and somebody was, was super angry that this is so tough. I cannot understand the syntax here. And, and the person sitting next to this person yelling how frustrated he was. The person sitting next to said, well, if you see red text, it means you're learning something. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Yes. So for developers, the current relevant certification is AZ204. And then there's also AZ400 for, for DevOps, Azure DevOps, and a little bit of GitHub as well. So once you complete the AZ204, it's one exam you do, you immediately become a Microsoft Certified Azure Developer Associate. And the, and the icon or the logo you get has two stars in it. So the fundamentals exams have one star, the dev and a couple of others like the IT Pro exams, they have two stars. And then the more challenging ones, the more advanced ones, like the DevOps one and the Azure Architect one, they have three stars. So I, I think the developer certification is super hands-on exam, as opposed to one of the architect ones, it's more designing and planning and not that much anymore on how do you actually do something in there. So let's talk a bit about the exam setup and experience. So you've done a couple of Azure certifications recently did you do those from home or did you have to travel some test center to do it so uh, i've in the last i think three years at least all the exams i've done have been from my own house and that's worked out pretty well and uh, you do get a checklist and there's a couple of things you need to run through uh, you should run through the test application to ensure that your laptop or whatever device you're using is actually capable of running the test software which is a simple test. And then you also get some guidelines saying, if you're doing this from home, ensure that there's no other noise because you will then be disqualified. If someone else other than you is speaking, you will be disqualified. Uh, and your desk need to be tidy. And then before the exam, you have to take you know, a photo of your desk from the front, from the back, and from both of the sides, just to kind of show that you don't have extra monitors, you don't have any other devices, you don't have anything that could kind of make you cheat on the exam. And then when you do the exam, someone is proctoring you online. So your webcam is online at all times and someone is watching uh, when you do the exam and yeah, proctoring it remotely. I think this works really well. Um, yeah, and I, I think we talked about this in, in an early episode of the, of the podcast about the exam experience. And yeah, it's the last one I did is a, couple of months back now the experience is is still there it's still good um i have no issues at all doing them remotely and i actually kind of enjoy it in one way but when the world is back on its feet i will probably go back to doing them at the test center because you can go get the coffee or whatever you need and go sit there and have whatever time you need to focus on that and when you're done you can i don't know go have some lunch downtown or whatever but for now, doing it from home, it's the only option. When the world is back at its feet, I, I think we are all going to be in that mindset that you have somebody calling you from Seattle. Hey, we, we need you for a one hour meeting. Can we meet? And you go, sure, let me hop on a plane and get there for the meeting. Anything to get away from home. 
So on the exams, and we did discuss this, I think in episode five, so that was more than a year ago. Uh, so for the AZ204 specifically, I recall when I did this in 2019, I recall it had some case studies. And instead of just having like a multiple choice exam, is it this or is it that? The case studies are interesting because they showcase you this imaginary company often Fabricum or Contoso or Northwind Traders or something like this. And they have a bit of code in there. They have some requirements, some limitations, some business goals. And then they give you a bunch of questions based on those. And I found these challenging because often you get this specific bit of code on something that you might not know, know that well. And then they, they ask is that, all right, so how would you modify this code to enable fetching a secret from Key Vault? And you go like, well, I know Key Vault, but I don't know this bit of code. It's 10 lines. And I really don't know how they're planning on using this. So perhaps my advice here is that don't overanalyze it. Don't, don't try to make it amazing. Just get it done. So, so choose what you feel is most obvious to get that specific business goal passed. This is an interesting, uh, when you mentioned that the code is often awfully specific and it's, this is one of the things that I often send feedback when you've done a certification, you can send feedback to the, to the team making the certifications, because just like you say, you get 10 lines of code. You might not have written those lines of code before, but they are very similar. So you get four examples. It's a multi-choice uh, or a single choice, but the, the, Code samples are very similar. It could just be a syntax change, a change of a word, you know, whatever. It's those type of questions are kind of tricky because I've, I've been doing development for more than 20 years. I don't know every single line of code, but I figure it out. I know how to get it done, but I don't have everything in my mind. So it's a bit tricky to, to do that. So I think this advice uh, that you just said, don't overanalyze it, you know, it kind of excluded things that don't make sense and then go if you have never seen it before go with the one that you think makes to make the most sense and just move on exactly and i think it also depends i often write my code in c sharp and they might have a bunch of code in javascript and i go well i can read this but i'm not intimately familiar with the latest on that so it takes some deep thinking while you're doing the exam to actually get to the point that what are they specifically asking so the exams usually 50 questions and there's a 70% pass requirement. So often you have 1000 points is the maximum you have to get 700. And not every question is equal. So you might have an easy question and you don't know how many points you're getting for that question. And then you might have a super lengthy question and it might be more valuable in the sense. But at the end of the day, if you do an exam, it's not in beta, you get the results immediately. And then you know, if you get 700 exactly, it means you didn't study anything extra. You knew just the stuff that you needed to know. If you get less than 700, I often say that if you get 500 or more, you're really close just read a bit more. But if you get 350, it's it's more or less <laughs> just just guessing the answers. I, I have the no training. Idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did the training. I didn't listen. I didn't really understand anything. So let's talk briefly what's in this exam. So the skills outline. Uh, we have the link in the show notes. You can go and read it. 
but it's nicely divided in five areas. And what would you say would, would be the most challenging for you if you were to go and do the exam today? Which of these five areas would, would you focus most on? So I, I think the, the five areas is develop Azure compute solutions, develop Azure storage, and then implement security, and then monitoring, and then you know, integration with third-party services. And I think if I were to do it today, I would probably read up a bit on you know, connecting and consuming Azure services for third-party services, because this landscape changes a lot. I mean, everything in Azure changes. And when I did this exam, I think it was actually called, was it called AZ203 perhaps? Or I know they renamed something in the past. So I did the developer exam a couple of years ago before they renamed it anyway. And yeah, I, I think at, the, at that time, it was also the kind of integration points that I needed to brush up on. So I passed the exam, uh, flying colors with the other areas, but you know things change in this landscape all the time. So just because I passed this a couple of years back doesn't mean that I will do it now because the content changes, and the services in Azure change, how you do monitoring, how you do security, what you need to do um, you know, for a secure development practice. And these things change as well. For me, I think the, the third party stuff is what I would focus on because I have really no idea what that means today versus two, three years ago. So that, that's where I would start. The rest, I work with everything like this every single day. Uh, so I'm fairly confident that I have the knowledge and experience to, to pass, but third-party integrations, I don't really know what it means unless I actually go and read the, the skills outline. What I'm happy for is that nowadays, in the past couple of years, the exams no longer seem to ask specific questions like, if you have an Azure storage uh, let's say it's configured for hot with LRS setup. What's the maximum size that you can store uh, a blob in there for? Because that might change. For you, it might be, well, it was 10 terabytes last week. But when was this exam done? Was it five terabytes at the time? So, so this is more perhaps higher level in the sense, what's possible instead of what's a limit or, or something specific you have to, have to memorize. For me, the monitoring and troubleshooting has been challenging because I often utilize whatever I have in Azure, but I might not utilize everything I have in there. So I might use log analytics, I might do queries, I use Azure Monitor for a lot of things but I might not necessarily configure all of the aspects I could. And they might be asking on something that's lesser known, but still super useful that I simply have no need for. Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. So I, I think that makes sense. And just as a side note there, um, a friend of mine works in the Azure space, works specifically with monitoring and operations. And his job is pretty much to live inside App Insights and Log Analytics and other kind of monitoring uh, platforms. That's, it's a full-time job doing that. So again, the, the level of monitoring and troubleshooting and optimizing solutions here is fairly low level compared to, or fairly high level compared to, you know, spending full time working on it. So I wouldn't be afraid of it. 
I think for here, when it comes to optimizing Azure solutions, it's about how do you set up and configure cache and expiration policies? How do you set up the uh, distributed cache? Uh, can you make use of Azure release cache? And uh, you know, what kind of caching patterns should you use? Because it is a developer exam, right? So it's not just about use app insights to monitor things and then write the queries, but also how do you optimize this so the code becomes more efficient? And this is stuff that I work with a lot, but still something that, yeah, good idea to read up on if I were to do the certification again. And one thing to point out, because some people often ask me about this, if I'm delivering a training for Azure developers, will the exam require me to understand Kubernetes? And it doesn't have any AKS, Azure Kubernetes service stuff. It will have the usual containers, Docker, Azure Container Instances, Azure Container Registry, and Key Vault things, but not the orchestration bits that you get from Kubernetes. So that's yeah. that's sort of not part of this. And I'm not sure if it's part of any Microsoft exam specifically. I was just about to ask if there isn't a like an AKS type of exam. And if there isn't, perhaps that's something that we could see in the future. Because I, I worked with AKS over the course of about two years or so. Uh, in production, we had a lot of uh, AKS going on. It was a learning curve to get started with that. But once you got started, it was fairly easy to stay afloat, but it's a black hole. I mean, if you don't work full-time with it, it is hard to keep up because there's a lot of changes and there's, you know, the, the pace of innovation with, with Kubernetes upstream is crazy. And Azure Kubernetes services is implementing, you know, things and changes and updates a lot. So it would make sense, I think, to uh, to kind of become an Azure certified AKS professional or whatever, something that kind of proves that you are dedicated to uh, the AKS space. I, I work a lot with containers. Everything I run in production, they are now on Azure Container Instances, and we can also run Docker containers locally for, for dev and different things. So I spent a lot of time with that, uh, but we moved away from AKS uh, due to the orchestration complexity. And now we have functions and ACI containers doing everything for us, uh, which means we can also spread things out uh, we have multiple regions set up and, and everything is working fine together. AKS was not for our use case, but when we did use it, it was complex. So it's good to know, like you mentioned, that AKS is not part of this exam because it is, it is a question I also received once or twice because people are hesitant or afraid of it because it is so complex. People are sometimes afraid to even start looking at it because you don't know where to start. So it's a, it's a good point. It's not on this exam. I sometimes see people who have really invested in, in AKS understanding is that they sort of see that as the end solution to any sort of problem. And as you said, there's, there's different possibilities and, and AKS or Kubernetes itself is great, but it's, it's awfully complex. And at the same time, it sort of dictates that you really need to invest in that and put all of your effort in understanding how that works. Yeah. But this is not about Kubernetes, but perhaps good to point out on that. So far, last, last few bits on this, preparing for the exam. 
So I understood that you usually, if you're preparing for an upcoming exam, perhaps the MS500 next, is that you would perhaps use the self-learning modules they have on MS Learn. I, I usually try to do that. They are up to date. They are pretty good. Sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, too much of an overview, but this is a good thing for me because if I have already got a lot of experience with this uh, area and these topics, what I want to do with the learn modules is just quickly go through them to see if there's anything that caught my eye saying, this is something you never touched, then go through the module. So let's say there's uh, 30 modules. Maybe I go through 10 of them because those are things I need to brush up on or things I haven't seen before or haven't used. And the things I already know inside out, I don't need to do those. And this is free. You do it online on Microsoft Learn. And it's just click at a click. You can go through it and you can have the, I think it's even prepared in such a way that if you're looking at the skills outline for this specific exam, there's a link going to the free modules on Microsoft Learn where you get exactly the modules that relates to this exam and you can just go through them one by one. So I, I definitely do that. Now I do recommend it. Uh, again, it's not the most advanced type of training, but on the other hand, it does uh, have a requirement. I think for the, the prerequisite for these exams, I think I read is about one to two, or if it was two to three years experience as a developer. So if you've never done Azure development and you want to take the certification, well, then you need to study a bit and yeah, some people just memorize questions and others, uh, you know, have the experience and then do the training and then do the certification. And it's up to you how you do things. For me, this is a, the free self-learning is a really good opportunity to find the gaps in my skills because in the end, you need to need to know that things change a lot. And I know for a fact that I don't know everything about this. I Even though I passed this certification, I didn't pass with a thousand points. You know, I seldom do, which is a good thing because then when the exam is done, it says, congratulations, you passed, but here's a couple of areas you need to improve. When I know those areas, I'll go back to these self-learning modules and I pick that up and just brush up on it from there. That's a pretty cool strategy and it works for me. Perhaps one thing that I've noticed now uh, is that when I'm delivering a training for AZ204, meaning it would be a classroom, but now of course a virtual classroom, it's three to five days. And sometimes in the audience, I might have somebody who says, well, I've been developing solutions for 10 years, but I've never even seen Azure portal. And one of the requirements for this exam is that you also know the basics of Azure. You know what an Azure tenant is, you, you know what an Azure subscription is, you know the identity model in there, you know what a resource group is. All the basics is, is assumed that you already know. And often a developer might come in and not really having needing to, to learn any of that stuff because they might focus on, on delivering code, which makes perfect sense. So this is probably one of the tips that if you plan on doing this exam beyond just being a, a skilled developer, you also need to know what Azure is. Uh, one great way of learning also is to check the labs. So the hands-on labs that are being used 
at the classroom or the virtual training, they are now on GitHub. So, so they are openly accessible to anybody. So it's a bunch of documents in essence that hold your hand and say, let's do this. And while you're doing those labs, you are exposed to different things on how do I deploy, how do I configure, how do I write code like this? And they are fairly lengthy, but nowadays they are, they are not copy-paste exercises. So it's not like they have five pages of HTML and JavaScript, copy this, run, great, now you know this. It's more about get this skeleton class with two lines and let's add this, this and this in here because reasons. And then when you deploy, you can now put a breakpoint here and see that this is exactly what we're doing here. So I would advise that before you go and do the exam, check the labs, we'll put the link in the show notes, check the labs even if briefly, because they will expose you to the breadth and width of all of the content. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, last time, I, I used to be an MCT for many years as well, I delivered a lot of trainings to a lot of people. And one of the things that was kind of dreadful was going through these labs. They were sometimes very complex, even to get running. And then, like you say, you copy pasted a couple of pages of XML or something else, and you hit a five and okay, now it works, but nobody had any idea what they did. I really like that they now push this to GitHub. So anyone prior to taking a training or prior to taking an exam can go here take a look at the labs and just do it at your own pace. But kind of, it resonates a bit with why I also like the self-learning modules on Microsoft Learn, because I can do it whenever I have time. Because time is not something that is a luxury I have too much of. You know, I, I have my, my work, I have my family, there's a lot of things going on in life. Whenever I do have a moment, this is a perfect opportunity to take a look at the labs or, or the self-paced training as opposed to sitting you know, a couple of days in a classroom for a paid training, which frankly, right now I don't have time with. So this is a, a perfect way to do it. So it does seem like there's a lot of options. You know, if, if you wanna do it at your own pace, you can do that. If you wanna to go to a training, you can, you can do that. There's online trainings, virtuals, and there's also in-classroom trainings. However, right now, I don't know if they still run those. Are there other ways to, to kind of ramp up? I think these are the, the main and perhaps the, the ways we would recommend ramping up, but other other things? Uh, one thing that I use if, if I'm prepping for an exam that it's, it's very new and I don't have a vast experience in working on, on such technology yet, is that I look at the skills outline of the exam. And if it says develop for Azure storage, I will go to docs.microsoft.com, find Azure storage and sort of check the tutorials from there, check the how-tos to, to get the big picture in my head. Okay, this, this is the whole thing, and I really don't know anything about this, this, and this, so I need to focus on this. And yeah. even if they are not focused on the exam, they still reveal the same data for you, but in a little bit different format. Cool. So I, I think the, the next question on my mind, because we kind of went through a lot of the thoughts we have on this topic, now, something that we usually come back to when it comes to anything Azure is the cost. So taking a certification is not free, but it's not super expensive. Do you recall the, the exact fees for taking an exam? Yes, and it depends on your area, often your country. And for us in the Nordics, 
so Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark at least, the price is 165 euro. And in the US, I did check it's $165. But if you go to a country with a different economy, it might be less than this. I think the top price is often 165. And this is for one try of the exam. If you pass, you pass. If you fail, then sometimes there's a package pay 10% more, so about 180. And if you fail, you get a second shot for free. But I haven't seen this in a while now, though. So companies often get exam vouchers and they might give you a discount as well. But the list price, 165. Okay, so I pay my 165. Let's say I, I am fortunate enough to pass the exam. What's next? Am I now a certified Azure developer for life? Uh, thankfully, yes and no. So on your CV and in the certification transcript, you can, you can keep that in there. But for now, it's valid for two years. And when that two years is, is about to, to uh, pass, six months before this, you can do a renew assessment. So this, this has changed a few times in the past years. It used to be that once your certification is about to expire, you need to do the same certification exam again because it's been updated a couple of times. But people were sort of complaining that, well, I did the Azure Dev stuff and I kept on working on this. Why do I need to do everything again when the changes have been fairly small in my perspective? So in March 21, they did change this to a renewal assessment. So six months before it expires, you go to docs.microsoft.com, you find out that, that certification from there, log in with, with the same ID that you use to do your exams, and it will give you this assessment. It doesn't cost you anything, nobody's monitoring you, and you can use Google on the side if you like. It's about 25, 30 questions, and again, about 70% has to be right. And if you fail twice, on this, you get a 24 hour, how do you say, 24 hour cooling period. And then you can retry it as many times as you like, again, with 24 hours in between on each of those. And I, I did mine for AZ500 last week or two weeks ago. Uh, it was a pretty good experience. It was a good idea to do that. So I could, I could do the assessment and I passed, but I also learned that, oh, there's a couple of things I need to brush up on uh, though even um again like I mentioned before you're certified and in this case for Azure security there's still going to be things you don't work with daily or things you might need to brush up on um so I I find that regularly that there's things I I need to kind of explore more need to dwell into and this was also a good opportunity to to do this reassessment because he told me that okay you passed but here's two areas that might be a good idea to read up on. So I really like that. Sounds good. And it's worth mentioning here that when you do the renewal, you get one more year. So then again, you can wait for a year and then probably you have to do the assessment again, which makes sense. Yeah. I have a, a fun trivia related to certifications. And I don't know, I think you will beat me here. But my first certification when it was called 
becoming an MCP or Microsoft Certified Professional was in 2004. It's a long time ago. What was yours? That was a long time ago. Mine was in 1997. I did one on IIS 4 on Windows NT4. And... I'm still angry about that exam because I failed on the first try and I did read a lot. This was also a time when you would have this printed uh, preparation materials, like a right. phone book, if you recall those. Yeah, yeah. And I failed on the first try and I was like, I thought I knew everything, but I failed. <laughs> and I actually emailed somebody at Microsoft to ask about it. And they said, well, yeah, there's this thing you need to know that if there's a simulation question, like how do you configure an SSL certificate for the default website? And they give you the simulated IIS management console, not a real one. How did you do it? Well, I, I did the configuration and I click OK. No, 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 it will fail you. So what should I do? You have to do the configuration and click apply first and then OK. Otherwise, the, the exam engine will think you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Welcome to the 90s. <laughs> yes, it was fun. So I did go in on the next day and I was careful to click apply first and OK. And then I did pass. But that was the first one I did. And I didn't do anything after 2000 then. And perhaps I think, I it, was about, I think it was about 13 years when you did your first exam. So took me a bit bit longer before I did mine. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I felt it was useful at the time. And I still try to do an exam every second month, roughly. But of course, it has to be something that I feel is useful for me to learn. So I, I haven't really set my focus on the next one, but perhaps I'll do the IoT developer one, the AZ220. That looks interesting. Or then, as we discussed, the SC200, 300, 400 ones, the new security ones. Yeah, cool. I think that rounds up most of the show. And we have the final bit, which is the unexpected question or the surprising question. And I think it's my time to ask you a question. So if you could disinvent one thing, what would that be? Just one. One. <laughs> So I've, I've got, stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a few candidates in my mind. So, so let me start with, with, with perhaps the, the, the one true thing I would like to disinvent in the whole world. And that would be that people, when they are out and about, that you wouldn't have the capability in your phone to use the speaker for audio, or you, you couldn't respond let's say to a whatsapp or iMessage message by talking by holding the phone an arm's length away and recording something in the bus or the metro or in the grocery store that's the number one thing i would do <laughs> okay that's good to know that's a good priority <laughs> and if if i had a chance to just invent something else it would be vegetables Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's disinvent broccoli. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Problem solved. All righty. This was fun. Thank you again for joining us. And until next time. See you then.
Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.